Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Play to pod. Cold and grey London today, listeners. This is Dr. Ruth Glynn Owen for the Play to Pod podcast. Um, we're bringing you episode four this week. And this is an interview with Elise, who's the mum of a little girl, Iona. Iona's just started her mainstream school placement in the middle of the pandemic. Um, but they also managed to get an EHCP before she did. So that was amazing. And Elise has got some really great tips for, for parents who are just at the start of their journey as well. So this is a great episode and we hope that you enjoy it. Okay, Elise, thank you very much for coming on our Play to Pod podcast. It's lovely to see you. And um, well, for the listeners, it's going to be lovely to hear you. <laughs> so you have a little girl, um, Iona, and she's, is she is she four or five now? Uh, she's four and a half, five in August. And she's just started mainstream school in the middle of a pandemic, hasn't she? That was kind of just slap bang in the middle of, of all the lockdowns. Yeah, that's right. So she started school in September. So the schools weren't able to make an assessment before she joined school um so that was all done virtually um and then she she started school yeah in the in the I guess in the at the beginning of the second wave of the pandemic and you're based in England so you guys get something called an EHCP don't you did that take a long time to get? The EHCP took a took a while to sort of process because um, you have to get um, all the professional input and make sure everybody's aligned. Um, but because we were quite um, on board with with uh, recognizing recognizing Iona's special needs pretty early on, we we knew that it was important to get that process started as soon as possible. And to make sure that she had it in place before she started school. So um, I think we probably started looking into it earlier than most people. Mm -hmm. When did you first start to have concerns about Iona's development? Um, So interestingly, it was actually um, a care worker at the nursery that noticed. And it was when she was fairly young. Um, so around 18 months, um, she had noticed that Iona wasn't responding to her name um, and she she brought that up with us. And um, obviously the first assumption was that it was a, a hearing problem um, and that we just had to get it, you know, looked into. But because I had a degree in psychology, um, I had quite a lot and I had done a module on, on the autism spectrum. I then became sort of hyper aware of all the other sort of factors or, or, or I guess you'd call them symptoms or signs that she might be on the autism spectrum. So things like she already wasn't really uh, making eye contact um, and um, not really listening to us when following instructions. And I noticed that she was a bit further behind other children um, in language. It wasn't really concerning me at the time, but then once that care worker had said she wasn't responding to her name, it sort of all clicked into place and we we kind of had it that on our agenda that that, that it might be, you know, that might be behind some of some of her um some of her, I guess, delays you would call them. So what did you do first? Who did you speak to and, and what did they say? First we went to an ENT um just to rule out the hearing issue. Um and we uh 
he was pretty certain it was a consultant he was pretty certain that it was a, a hearing issue because she was so young and she's quite uh, I guess more on the social side of the of uh, children with her, her similar needs to her she's uh, she can be very engaging and especially as a baby she didn't seem to fit the typical um sort of profile of 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 a child on the autism spectrum and so we went and we did all of those assessments and she did have glue ear so we then went on to do the the grommets um to to make sure and rule it out um and so she had an operation to to help with that um and then during that we 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 consulted with a private speech therapist um just because we had our additional concerns um and she again was sort of airing on the side of it's probably just a hearing issue um the delays in speech so um so she said to wait um but then she she actually recommended you guys um to to you know before she has a formal diagnosis if you're even just a little bit concerned about her delays in her speech why not try out this therapy and she thought it would work for Iona um so that's when we got in touch with Blue Sky um and and yeah and started uh using you guys to to, to help develop her her speech really mm-hmm. um so that's how how we all that was sort of the sequence of events. How long did the whole process take in terms of the NHS side of things so when you first went to your your GP and you kind of raised your concerns what were the waiting lists like for support and ENT and then for eventually for diagnosis? So to be honest with you everything that's been done quickly has been done privately so we're lucky enough that um, that uh, my husband's uh, company provide health insurance and so all the ENT stuff was done through private healthcare Um, so that was a lot lot quicker and so we didn't have waiting lists for that and all the stuff on the NHS so the formal autism diagnosis has taken ages to be honest so from her initial assessment um, to formal diagnosis was two years um, which I think is personally I think it's ridiculous um but we didn't obviously pursue that privately because having not necessarily having that label we didn't feel would actually add anything because we knew all of her what all of her additional needs were and were already seeking help via other other uh, processes so um I think for someone who's 100% reliant on the NHS it would probably be really long and really frustrating um because all of these things obviously take take ages to for even to for for a child to be considered for a grommets operation, for example, um, so yeah, I think that's we were lucky because we did have that that private health insurance that helped with mm-hmm. those elements. And then I think there are well, there are a lot of children that we see that have um, glue ear and, and need grommets, and I think you're right that the waiting list and, and also just even getting through the the kind of red tape to get to that point on the NHS is really, really difficult. And it can make a really big difference that if a child's going to find it hard talking anyway, and there's something physical going on that's blocking them being able to hear certain speech sounds and all of the kind of things they need to develop speech, of course it's going to help. So what were the biggest and fastest changes you saw in terms of Iona's development once you started getting some kind of input in speech therapy as um, ENT? I think when we first came to to see you guys, I think she was only using a couple of words. So basically mummy. And I think it was more or open, like a generalized thing to express a demand or a, a request. 
Um, so once we started working with you, we, we really saw like a, an uptake or a, an uptick in the in the words she was using. So it was really incredible to, to notice that things that she was super motivated by, she could say the words and she could express herself. So I think it's funny, like, for example, food, if there's something sweet that she really, really likes, she will say and learn the word really quickly, no matter how complicated it is. So that that was the thing that was quite, quite amazing, really, was that you know, we didn't think she could understand or that she she could say words, but then all of a sudden, if you withdrew or or, or made sure she had to say the word, then then she started to find the motivation to. So I think, yeah, it's just picking up the words and being able to to express herself and and what she wanted, um, has been has been the the fastest and the best thing about it. And what's the whole journey been like for you as parents? Obviously, it's incredibly worrying when you realise that your child has some kind of delay and and then you've got to fight for the support. Um, So what's it been like for you, you know, and then also kind of starting mainstream school in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, all of of the kind of extra stress that's been going on this year. So, um, yeah, just a little bit about what it's been like for you guys. Yeah, I think the, the, the hardest part is the beginning and not knowing. So the, like oh, is, you know, does she have special needs? Is there something that's going on there beyond the hearing and the the stress and the worry associated with that? I think once you kind of come to terms with that and come to a sort of acceptance that it is, you know, there is something more going on, then you can kind of learn learn to, to live with it and sort of cope with it day by day and figure out, okay, so we understand that she's got these needs. So what what is it that we can do to help her? So trying to be solutions oriented in that sense. Um, um, so that's kind of, it is, it's horrible, but, you know, trying to find ways to, to, to help um, dealing with those special needs and making sure that, that Iona develops to her full potential has kind of been our focus. But yeah, I, I guess it's, it's it's a really tough journey and um, especially finding the help that we think she needs. So, I mean, I follow some Instagram accounts of people based in the US and they seem to have lots of therapy and and sort of things that are included in their healthcare and, and things that I feel that, that British children perhaps are missing out on and that's really frustrating as well. So, you know, as I said before, we're lucky enough, for example, to be able to help fund Blue Sky and, and be able to help uh, have private health insurance. But other families can't do those things. And it's really sad for, for those families as well, because they got they have to fight even harder for what they do get. I mean, the provision of of, of what she gets as standard provided by the government is like the, the, the speech therapist comes a couple of times a term to assess her and see how she's doing. Um, so things like that, we don't, you know, she does have a one-to-one assistant, which is great and what she needs, but there's not that funding for, for the therapy and for, for taking things further, which is super frustrating as well. And that is really frustrating, I think, for people like yourself that are looking at what's going on in the US, and I'm the same as a professional and any expert we're having on the podcast for interviews are mainly based in the USA, because that is really where all of the research has been done. It's it's just, you know, it, it's, it's really where it's at in terms of autism support and support with children with developmental delays genuinely and I think it's a bit of a short-sighted view in the UK that they don't do this when they're little and they don't give intensive services because it clearly a child's going to need a lot more support as they get through school if they haven't had any kind of help prior to that so yeah there's a there's a big difference between what we are 
offering children in Britain versus what people are offering and getting in the US. And I think it's it's quite it's it's just sad to to see. And we don't get any government funding as an early intervention service as a charity. Like we really get nothing. So we're really reliant on fundraising and grants and things like that. And there are times over the last eleven years where we have been able to provide certain parts of our service for free or reduced, but we've never had anything kind of big because even the funders don't see early intervention as something that, or, or therapy generally for children with autism, as something that is beneficial and can actually make massive changes. And it's, yeah, it's frustrating. And hopefully things will change in time, but it's taken a long time to even get to this point. So if you could give advice to a first-time parent who had concerns about their little one, what would be your top three tips? Yeah, I did. I wrote some notes on this one. Um, I think um, it's quite focused on on the parents, and I know that's a bit strange to think, but but obviously, if you if you notice a little one, it, they're not really affected. They're kind of happy. So it's about understanding and supporting yourself and being able to get through that journey. So I guess my number one tip is focusing on the the here and now. I think if you think about the future and what's going to happen five, 10 years down the line and comparing your child to other children, it can get very kind of uh, depressing and sad. So focus on the today, what you can do to help them and seeking the therapies and the solutions that might be helping them sort of take those little steps forward. Um, you know, it might be that they'll, they'll never be, you know, similar to or the same as a neurotypical child in terms of their language. But how can you get them to develop to their, their best potential? And um, so I think if you focus on the future and honor that from personal experience, you kind of get in a super negative spiral. And so it's best to focus on the here and now. What can you do today and, and how how can you help them? The second thing is me time. So I know like children with, with special needs um, can be, you know, a lot of um, very stressful, especially if you've got meltdowns, they can't express themselves, those sorts of things. Um, it's really important to try and find, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour a week or, or whatever, just to decompress and have some time to yourself doing whatever relaxes you because, you know, it's a very it can dominate your life at all and um, and that's the third thing really is is not letting it define you or your child so yes I own a special needs but I'm an individual I have you know I'm not just a special needs mum I want to have my own career I want to try and live a normal life as much as possible and Iona's not just a special needs child you know she's happy she's you know engaging in life she's really um, you know, she's she's uh, she's just Iona. So not defining her in her autism or in her special needs is, is another thing that, that I think is really important to just sort of try and live life and be happy. And that's just something that we need to, yeah, that we need to try and help Iona uh, kind of, uh, you know, help her cope with life and day to day and make sure that she's in the best position possible to do that. Yeah, completely. And I think that's the thing. There's a lot of once a child gets a diagnosis, it becomes a label that defines them and professionals start to look at a child through the prism of autism and they're doing this because they have autism and they're doing that because they have autism quite a lot of the time I would say majority of the time a child is doing something because they want to do it and it's their personality and it's their choice and every individual child is completely unique and they may share a diagnosis of autism or other developmental delays but it doesn't make them the same as every other kid that's got that diagnosis and it is about appreciating that child as a unique person um which you know it's, it's great that parents are 
able to to think like that because you get a lot of kind of input from professionals that tells you that your child is doing this purely because of their diagnosis so they're some really great tips and I think that anyone listening to this who's at the start of their journey needs to just really listen to that and think about looking after themselves as well because the way that we work and a lot of the really kind of well-researched approaches out there US-based particularly um, you know a lot of it is about parent coaching and parent training and I always think you know if you're not okay in yourself and you're not giving yourself time to just be like an adult <laughs> you know a mum that just wants a bit of time um, to kind of enjoy life and and have some some breaks as well you know um, from your child that's that's absolutely fine then you're not going to have the emotional energy to to really put some of the strategies in practice because you know like all toddlers and young children under the age of probably well even when they get up to 16 I would say they're going to have a tantrum if you ask them to do something they don't want to do and that could be quite emotionally draining so being able to to have some me time is really important you've kind of talked about being in the here and now and and that's you know something that's really really important but if you think about your hopes for Iona for the, the future what what your kind of main aims with kind of Iona over the next few years I guess our ultimate aim or my ultimate aim is I'd love for her to be able um, to live independently. I know that sounds like a weird thing to say as she's only four or five. Um, But, you know, having the possibility of when she's older to, you know, have her own independence and also maybe have like a a job, like a a career and fulfill herself that way. Um, You know, whether that's, I don't know, making coffee, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be um, anything uh, anything in particular it's just you know having having her able to live by you know enjoy life live independently and be able to interact with society I think that's kind of what we're hoping for and she might not get there but that's kind of um what what we want to achieve so I guess in the sort of next five years it's trying to find the right school setting for her where she can learn skills that she needs to learn and 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 be able to develop to the fullest of her potential um so that's probably our you know our, our main our main goals and I think with Iona, if it's something that involves cake or food, maybe she could work in a restaurant or start her own restaurant or become a chef. All of those things motivate her at the moment, don't they? So you could maybe <laughs> think about in the future, she could, she could have an, an, a restaurant, you know, maybe a cake-based restaurant. That would be quite cool. Is there anything else you wanted to add? It's nice to to have a chat about it. And I think it's, I think obviously at the start of everybody's journey, you can kind of feel a bit lonely. So like... Because all your friends and all of your associates with, with children have a very different journey to you. So I think it's important to, to talk and give advice to other people. Some really great advice there from Elise for parents who are at the very start of their journey to diagnosis. It's very important to be able to look after yourself in all of this. And that's something that we would strongly advocate if we're asking parents to be involved in therapy. We need parents to be OK in themselves. So like Elise said, just find some time to to enjoy some peace and quiet occasionally. Um, maybe find a glass of wine or two and try and connect with people who may be going through similar or who have already been through a similar journey to yourself. If you think that we can help you, we are available for assessments or advice on www.blueskyautism.com or our training website at www.playtotalk.co.uk. It's gonna be okay